Welcome to Thrive in Design, a podcast about making money in beautiful interiors as it relates to product-based businesses in the interior design industry. Each week, we'll discuss innovative strategies on how to approach product development and design sales in a shifting market. I'm your host, Nicole Lachey-Ben. So welcome to the Thrive and Design podcast. I'm so excited to have our first guest as a part of the show. So today we have Tamara Archer, who is the principal designer at T. Archer Design. Raised in Brooklyn, New York with Trinidadian roots, Tamara Archer's design aesthetic is inspired by different cultures, world travel, architecture, and nature. Exotic flair with an urban edge is her approach to creating beautiful, timeless interiors. Tamara enjoys helping her clients improve the energy in their homes and businesses to find balance with designs that inspire, relax, rejuvenate, and recharge. Thank you for being here, Tamara. Thanks for having me, Nicole. Good speaking to you again. Yes, for sure. So Tamara, I know a little bit about your story, but Mm -hmm. tell me more about what made you pursue a career in interior design. Well, I mean, I really wasn't aware that interior design was a career growing up. You know, the built environment, you know, architectural details, furniture, finishes were all things that, you know, I just enjoyed observing. Um, I grew up in the Crown Heights area of Brooklyn where there are lots of brownstones and I grew up in a brownstone. So um, I had this unique interest in them, like the different shapes, the nuances of the small details that no one else my age seemed to care about. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that. (laughs) You know, so like, you know, so years later after I'd already started a career in advertising, I'd come across an interior, a four-year interior design program at the Art Institute and I enrolled. Okay. So you actually started your career in advertising, which is really interesting. Yes. I started in advertising. (laughs) Yeah. For me, I could totally relate to your story of saying like, you noticed design aesthetics when you were really young. Like for me, I was like 12 years old and all I was watching was HGTV. And I was like, (laughs) this sounds great. Like I want to be an interior designer, not knowing all the many facets of it. So as you had that interest in design, you went in a different path of advertising, what made you switch your career path to interior design and, and go back to school? Well, I mean, I, I liked advertising because I liked being in a creative environment, but I wasn't creating. I was doing more of the project management side of it. And so while I liked it, I wasn't passionate about it. So when I figured out that there was, you know, a career that I can be an interior designer, I'm like, I'm just going to go for it because I wanted to follow something and do something that I would be passionate and fulfilled by doing. And advertising just wasn't doing it for me. (laughs) I feel you. Okay, awesome. All right. So you went back to school, you got your degree, and you dived into interior design. So where did T. Archer Design, your business, fall into play? I mean, basically, it was a lack of opportunity. You know, I graduated from design school around the time that the recession started and design firms were not hiring. So I created my own opportunity by designing condos for my neighbors in the building where I lived in Miami at the time. And it kind of just blossomed from there. You know, I had 
I put an ad on our intranet service. Um, one person contacted me. I redesigned her apartment and she loved it. And then another person contacted me and another person contacted me. And then even that first client, she moved to a different city and hired me again to do her apartment there. So, but all the time I was still working in, in advertising and marketing at the time, you know, full time and doing design, you know, in my free time on evenings and on the weekends. Okay, awesome. I love that you just put yourself out there. It was like, I am doing this. I'm creating my yeah. own opportunity. And you started with residential. So yeah. as your design firm has evolved and your career in design has evolved, what types of projects do you work on now? And then what's been your favorite project and why? Well, I mean, I still work on residential design, but I also do hospitality design projects now. And for two and a half years, I worked on cruise ship design. Mm. And I also did some resort design in Jamaica. But my favorite project so far has been a Brooklyn coffee shop that I worked on that I completed a couple months ago. Um, and that's my favorite because, you know, I had the opportunity to design more outside of the box. You know, business owners are usually more open to design concepts that aren't tied to their own personal style. Mm -hmm. So that gives you a lot more flexibility as a designer to be more creative. So yeah. that's why I kind of enjoy hospitality design a bit more than residential design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. I know when I was back in high school, after I decided at 12 years old, I'm going to be <laughs> studying <laughs> interior design, I had... Um, like an internship, like a mini internship for eight weeks was at a residential design firm. And those clients were so emotionally attached to their homes, right? And yes. as they should be, right? Yes. This is where they're right. creating memories and spending time. But I was like, I need to learn about the different options, right. <laughs> the different options. So I love it that you kind of have had different experiences in cruise ship design and hospitality design and some other types of commercial things too. Right. That's awesome. Whether it's a residential project or a commercial project, what does your design process looks like, look like? Well, I mean, my first step in the design process is the most important, um, which is getting to know my client, like learning about what they do for a living, what their hobbies and things are that make them happy, you know, what stores they like to shop at, what colors they like, what colors they don't like. It's important to me when I'm designing a space that I'm designing it based on that I'm not designing it based on my own personal style, but my client's style and personality. You know, recently someone asked me to tell them about a time when a client didn't like a design that I presented to them. Mm. And that's never happened. I mean, while there may be design revisions here and there, you know, I've never had a client that just didn't like my design concept. And I attribute that to spending time really getting to know who my client is and setting realistic expectations. You know, that's the part of the programming phase where we also, you know, survey the space, you know, take measurements and pictures and so on, but getting to know who I'm designing for, because you want to make sure that that client is a good fit for you. You're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Because too often I have come across interior designers, you know, on Instagram and social media where you look at their feed and every space that they've designed can be for one person, the same person. So it's like that tells me like you're designing for yourself. You're not really designing for a particular client. Like you're hoping that the clients that you attract are clients that have that share your aesthetic. Mm. And to me, that's not challenging. I like to be challenged. I like I like 
plethora of different, all different styles and, you know, historical eras of design. So when I come across a, a client that has a different design style for me, that's a challenge. And I love that because yeah. it keeps it interesting. Awesome. So after you're getting to know your client mm-hmm. and what their design aesthetic is, you survey the space, mm-hmm. what's the next step for you from there? Right. So then after that, we move on to, you know, the schematic design phase, you know, where we're developing the design concepts and, you know, looking at spatial relationships, you know, color schemes, determining the design style. And after that, you know, is the design development where we start to execute the design. So we're finalizing the floor plans, you know, elevations, lighting plans, you know, we're selecting furniture, fixtures and equipment. And then construction administration, if there's any renovation or contractor work involved. And then, you know, finally the installation where we go in and, you know, we put everything in place and, you know, it's the, that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's different, you know, just smaller steps along the way, but that's the, the, the overall process. Is that the same process, whether you're doing a residential or a commercial space? Yes. It's, it's mostly the same process and steps. Okay. Awesome. As you're getting towards like the third or fourth phase in your design, like that design development and picking out your finishes, picking out your furniture, do you have specific brands of products that you go to when you're specifying? I mean, for residential, probably not because I kind of like to, um, to mix it up a lot. And then, you know, you have clients that have all different styles. So it's hard to just say, okay, I'm going to go with this supply. This is my go-to supplier for this or that. For when it comes to hospitality and commercial or outdoor spaces, I would say yes, because those spaces, you know, durability and maintenance is very important, you know, due to the high usage. So you're going to have suppliers that, you know, are better for those types of things for like high usage areas that, you know, you can rely on. So in that in that context, yes. But, you know, I'm always exploring new suppliers, you know, I'll go to different um, design and furniture shows. So I'm always expanding my network and list of suppliers. So I always try to like do different things so that, you know, the design can, you know, evolve. So it's not the same thing and the same finishes and suppliers over and over. So I saw that you recently went to BDNY. That's one of my favorite shows to attend. I did not go this year, but probably next year I'll go. So as you were going through the show without saying any like brand names, Mm -hmm. what were some things that stood out to you in terms of like innovation, products, Uh, that are out there right now? Right, definitely the design innovation. You know, commercial and hospitality design has been at the forefront of setting design trends. Um, So I always look to those manufacturers and suppliers to see what the next wave of design trends are that'll also impact and shape residential design. And I don't think a lot of people know that. And because I've been working in cruise ship design for so long, like the things that we've been specifying for the past two and a half years, you're now seeing them in residential design Mm -hmm. so you know it's kind of like like the runway in in Paris like you have the high fashion things and then you know Mm -hmm. then you have the you know the fast fashion it it kind of mimics the same thing where you know like I said hospitality and commercial you know you see the more innovative products start there and then it's adapted for residential design yeah that just reminded me of that scene of um, the devil wears Prada when mm-hmm. Miranda is like talking about cerulean blue and how it came to the Paris runways and then um, came into 
you know, a Macy's or something like that. Right. So. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> how it, that's exactly how it happens in, in interior design also. Right. So were there any things that you were like, oh man, I have to uh, use these things in hospitality or hope to see these things in residential when it comes to like furniture, paints, I don't know, any type of innovations that has recently stand out? I mean, I, I think like sustainability has become very important, you know, as companies are a lot more conscious about minimizing their carbon footprint and also incorporating technology and design. I mean, it's been interesting to see how the built environment is having to adapt in a way that seamlessly integrates technology, you know, so mm-hmm. we've seen it in smart technology, USB charging and things like that integrated into furniture pieces. Um, another area that I see a lot of innovation is with solid surfaces like countertops and tiles. You know, quartz is becoming so much more popular than granite because, you know, it can mimic the look of granite and even more expensive stone like marble and it's much more durable and it's easier to maintain and it comes like in a plethora of different colors and patterns. Um, Also flooring, you know, like luxury vinyl tile and planks that, you know, mirror the look of natural wood, but, you know, it's highly durable and easier to maintain. There's a lot of design innovation in terms of sustainability that, you know, is giving people a lot more options now. Okay, awesome. So sustainability, integrating that technology into different materials. Yes. And then having the durability and the look of something that's more expensive. Right. for maybe a lower cost? Well, I mean, the cost isn't always necessarily lower, but you just have a lot more options, you know, and it's more durable. It may last longer and you can get different looks. So, you know, with quartz, you can get quartz that look like granite. You can get quartz that look like marble. You can get quartz that just looks like a solid color, like resin. So there's just more, um, it's more options. You get a lot more options. I'm loving this. So with my company, Thrive and Design, I'm really focusing on helping interior product companies really revamp a designer's experience with like an interior product company. So as you're specifying things. So there's three areas that I want to focus on. One is like how you're coming across these brands, right? Mm-hmm. How a company or their sales team might be consulting you or helping you in your specifying process Mm -hmm. and then what the ordering process kind of looks like so I'm going to get your feedback in this in this section (laughs) of our conversation so when you are searching for products what do you typically need in your experience with a product company I need a rep who is knowledgeable about their products you know because I'm going to have a lot of questions Okay. You know, so that's that's number one is like having a rep that knows, you know, where is your product manufactured? Where is it distributed? You know, things like that, especially now that, you know, there's so many issues with supply chain. You want to make sure that, you know, the distribution centers are nearest to where you need the products to be delivered. So um, things like that, you know, I work with clients, you know, globally. So I want to know about materiality. I want to know where it's manufactured, where, it's, where the distribu- distribution centers are located. So things like that. That's, that's some of the important things that I would want, you know, the company to, to be able to provide that type of information. Right. And it typically, if you're working with a new vendor, say like you were at a trade show, right? And you mm-hmm. came across a booth, and you're like, oh my gosh, I love all of these products. What would you need in that first encounter with a brand that you've never used before? 
Um, again, knowledgeability is very important. And of course, the aesthetic of the piece, okay. you know, and, and again, I think the three things that I mentioned and just like where it's manufactured, because you want to make sure that you can get it to the end user, you know, in a timely manner, right? <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> because, you know, things are already pretty crazy, you know, having to explain to clients why things are delayed and delayed and delayed. <laughs> so, right. You know, Especially that, right now. Especially. Yeah, that's, so that is very important. Okay, awesome. So as you've gotten familiar with your rep, right, they've given you all the knowledge about the product. You're like, okay, this is great. Um, is there anything else that you would need as you're specifying a product or maybe even going into like the ordering phase? Just, I guess it depends on like when you're dealing with like hospitality or even let's say for instance, cruise ship design, like there's a lot of different guidelines that, you know, products need to meet in a a marine environment. So having a rep that's knowledgeable about IMO and things like that are very helpful. Um, knowing if I'm if I'm specifying the say fabrics, knowing what the Wizen beak is and you know double rubs, that type of information, you know, is very important. Right. Yeah. So for me it's just it's it's always about the knowledgeability of the product. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me as a rep too, as I'm getting to the final, you know, final finish line of a project with a designer. Sometimes things are getting like VE'd. For those who are listening, if you don't know what that means, like value engineered, mm -hmm, or yes. it might be getting switched out because yes. another, another manufacturer doesn't have what they need available mm -hmm. at the time or can't get it to a date. So yes. Um, would you say that that is also important too, as you're, as you're working with a, with a vendor? Yes, that is important. Like you said, like you said, things get value engineered a lot and it has to be switched out. So, I mean, you need to have, that's why it's important to have um, a large network of suppliers because you never know when, if one thing is not going to be available, if you're going to have to come up with an alternative that needs to be able to work. That's also like, you know, an aesthetic match for your yeah. original spec. Yeah. I love that. And I'm wondering what that looks like for you. So like, say you're working on a project and let's use fabric as an example, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. it's not available or won't be ready for when you need it, like when the fabricator mm -hmm. needs it. And then you're like, oh man, I need to get a different <laughs> fabric, something that looks like what I need right. it to look like, fits mm -hmm. the budget and gets to the timeline. You have a network of, of reps and vendors, like where do you even go first? Do you send out a huge, you know, email blast? Do you call somebody? Like what, what does that look like for you on your side? Cause I know what that looked right. like for me as a rep when I got right. the, you know, got the call or email. Well, I mean, I have like, you know, when it comes to fabrics, let's say I'll have like about five vendors that are like the first that I'll go to, to even look when I'm specking. So if I had, and this happened to me recently where I couldn't use a fabric because it just wasn't appropriate for the environment. And that company was not able to provide the type of treatment that I needed. So I went to another company and I was like, look, I need a fabric that is similar to this, but it needs to have this type of treatment. And fortunately they were able to develop a custom fabric that was similar to the original spec 
with the treatment that I needed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it is always good to have like your your core suppliers that, you know, Mm -hmm. you can go to in those times, because the more you use reps, the more that they'll, they'll be available to provide you with that type of white glove service. You know what I mean? So um, I always try to keep, you know, the, a few, especially like I said, with hospitality and commercial design, always try to keep a few of them that I kind of use like as a preferred, you know, vendors. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, on the rep side or just working for product manufacturers in the past, I'm always got to be ready, right? You have to be Mm -hmm. on your toes. And then those companies on their end need to make sure they have like the systems in place or the custom department in place or Mm -hmm. whatever to make sure that they are available to serve their clients. So I love that. I love hearing about your design process. It's always so interesting. Thank you. So Tamara, what can we look forward to with your company? Anything new coming up? Well, with my company, I think right now we're we're focused on more commercial and hospitality spaces. So I think you'll have more of that to look forward to. And also working on um, home decor line. My daughter's an artist, so we're working on taking her art and incorporating it into some home decor items. Awesome. So that's going to be on one of our focuses next year for sure. Yes, I love I can't wait to see it. I can't yes. wait to see it. So where can people find you online? Tarcherdesign.com and I'm also on Instagram at t.archerdesign. All right. Well, thank you, Tamara, for sharing with us today. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to Tamara's career endeavors and about her design process as well. So thanks, Tamara. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on Thrive in Design. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive in Design. And for more strategies on how your product company can innovate in the interior design industry, head to training.thriveanddesign.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to create captivating content. See you next week.